We welcome you to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. We host multiple opportunities to learn more about the Arabian horse breeds shared for horse lovers of all ages. Contact us if you'd like to learn more about sponsor opportunities. We Love Arabian Horses is pleased to publish our community cookbook. We would love to include you and your best recipe and sponsorship as a long-term keeper in our community. For your chance to be included in the cookbook from the kitchens of Arabian horse enthusiasts, visit weloveArabianHorses.com slash cookbook to learn more. That's weloveArabianHorses.com slash cookbook to submit your recipe or become a sponsor. Deadline to submit is August 31st, 2021. So make sure to get your recipes in. Well, hello, everybody. This is Paul Costell with We Love Arabian Horses. And today we're pleased to have Laura Ames on our broadcast. Laura, hello. Hi, Paul. How are you? Well, we're doing well, and I really appreciate your time today. We're going to chat for 15 minutes or so about your long history in the Arabian horses. So you started out, I think you were birthed into the breed. Like, tell us a little bit about how you got started, your first time riding as a little girl, and kind of where you've progressed today. Sure. So my family has been in, last year was our 50th anniversary, so basically 51 years in the Arabian horse business. I'm 48 years old, so you do the math. I was born and raised into the Arabian horse um, family. I, uh, my parents own a farm in Jordan, Minnesota, that uh, they house about, I assume, assume we about have about 100 horses on the farm, um, and we also have a draft horse farm. Um, that's across the street that has about 20, 20 draft horses at it. I, uh, I basically was born in the barn. I had a, the, my mom had the playpen in the, the barn because she took care of the horses growing up while my dad was at work and I had siblings and it was very much a family affair of the horse deal. So I grew up with starting with a pony and riding a pony to then going to the family hand-me-down horse to then showing a variety of horses and a variety of disciplines over the last, let's say, I probably started showing when I was six or seven, so for the last uh, 41 years. Yeah. And you've shown in, in lots and lots of different divisions over the years. Yeah, I, I guess you could say that most people would primarily think I have shown English, but I also, um, as a kid, I showed pretty much everything other than um, hunt, and uh, I guess it would have been called stock seat back then, um, today reigning, but uh, over the last 20 years, I've probably shown halter, English, um, I started showing Western again last year. And actually, because my dad had such a long love for the reining horses, before everything happened here with the coronavirus, I was planning to start showing T.A. Mozart in reining. So hopefully oh, wow. we'll resume that when uh, when life gets back to normal. Well, you're kind of like me. When I was a kid, I, I did a little bit of everything. And, and we do kind of progress into one or two things that are more of our preferred disciplines, but it's, we kind of started out back then doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. I, you know what? I tried everything when I was a kid. I loved, wanted a costume horse, did the costume thing. My horse didn't love the costume as much as I did, but I really <laughs> loved the costume. I prayed for the 
indoor shows because if it was outdoors, my mom and dad would not let me show costume if there was any rain in the forecast or if it had been rain because it might ruin my costume. Um, tried to dabble in the side saddle. Uh, didn't really care for that on the old back scenario, but I, I, I just grew up in the barn. I love everything about it. I, um, most of our horses run out in a field uh, if they're not in training or in the show barn. And I love that. I love to go to the pastures and watch them grow up and, you know, determine which which ones will be what. And, you know, so it's it's just a love and passion. Well, and you've always competed as an amateur. Your family has also been a very, very involved breeding, you know, horses, horse farm. And y'all, y'all come from a, a, a perspective of breeding your own horses plus buying other horses and always you've competed as an amateur. So I think those things combined – give you a unique perspective on the industry today. And now you're also the publisher and owner of the Arabian Horse Times. Can you tell me a little bit about getting involved with that? Sure. So um, obviously I have always competed as an amateur, but been super, my life has always involved around the Arabian Horse. Before I purchased the Times, I also, um, which I still do today, is I I ran my parents' farm. And at that point, uh, we used to have, you know, five or six trainers working out of the farm and probably 100 horses in training. It's evolved to a little different level today. But I was always involved with, with that. And in college, I was a communications major with a focus on PR. So I've always had an interest in um, anything that involves communicating with the public. So that's how it sort of all went about. And Walter Mischik whom was the owner and publisher of the Times, was very good friends with my family. And he had approached my family that uh, he was thinking he was at a point in life that he wanted to sell the Times. And so my dad spoke to me about it. And, you know, and I was sort of ready. I was at a point in life that I needed to do something for myself that um, was my identity in life. And that's how it sort of all came about with me purchasing the Times. So I feel like I always say to everybody, I get up every single day and do something I absolutely love, and it doesn't feel like it's work. I get up, and I can hardly wait to get to my computer or the office, or if I'm at an event, I can hardly wait. I mean, it's just, it's it's not like, oh, my God, what time is it in the day, and is my day almost done so I can go home? Never right. think that way. So, yeah. Well, and, you know, I think, you know, this kind of shifts us a little bit to where I wanted to go is is like the marketing of the Arabian horse. And when you're putting ads in the Times, you're per, per, mostly having farms or pe- folks that are amateurs or trainers promoting their horses to those already in the industry. But you've built um, a, a, a new brand called Envision, and then you've also had an auction recently. So let's first talk a little bit about the auction online. And with everything going on with this coronavirus, kind of the, the, the urgency of online action and online communication is kind of critical. But you're really planning for things long beyond this coronavirus situation, and that auction is kind of a catalyst, I believe, because you just it was very, very well received. And I'd love you to share a little bit about that and kind of the results you got. Sure. So um, the whole thing, I love auctions. You know, obviously my family um, put on auctions for a number of years, and I ran them, and I, as much as they're a nerve wracker, I've always been fascinated with an auction because you never know what will happen when two people want a horse. And so I've always been fascinated with auctions about, I suppose it seems like everything was just a few years ago, but it was longer than that, probably five, six years ago. We started online auctions um, and we do 
a few throughout the year, and we also do the stallion auctions for the AEPA and the AWPA. Um, But I was really, really impressed with an auction that we did for Michael Byatt and J.T. Keller that actually started right about when the whole coronavirus going into quarantine all began to happen. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this auction is going to be a disaster. What's going to happen? Um, So I was really paying close attention to everything that was going on with this auction. And, wow, it ended on Monday night, and the auction so – an online auction has a start time and end time, but if there's active bidding, it doesn't mean the auction just ends at that given time. Then the bidding continues, and the auction on certain lots went on for two hours after the auction ended because there was so much active bidding on certain lots. Um, the numbers were super, super impressive. I thought for that type of auction, it was by far the best received auction we probably had, the most interaction one horse had believe 141 bids um so i was really really impressed with it and to be honest the last two auctions we have did for people the numbers have been super impressive that way because we um also did one for um palometto arabians when they did their live auction we sort of assisted them in managing that and then the day after their live auction we did an online auction and again the numbers were Super, super impressive, and that auction was more on young stock that hadn't been started in breeding stock. This was a little bit the same way with JT and Michael's auction, and it was just really impressive and really good to see the numbers. Um, But I don't want everybody to think they can go do that and have it that same kind of success. There's got to be work that goes into it to make it happen. So, um, yeah. Well, and I was going to point out, I, I, I think the success of that auction was, the coming about of a lot of hard work in advance of planning, promotion, and coronavirus had just kind of started at the time that the auction was was timed, and it was not part of really anything to do with the success of that auction. It probably would have been exactly what it was without the coronavirus going on simultaneously, which was kind of a a later event that happened and unknown or unexpected. Does that make sense, and do you agree? Yeah, um, so when basically I had a discussion and I'll I'll just, I just remember it so visibly because at Scottsdale um, I believe JT sent me a text and was like hey where are you at could you come over and speak to Michael and I about doing an auction and I was at the Cedar Ridge stalls which is just a few barns down so I said hey I'll walk over and so I walked over we had a discussion about it it's very realistic about what an online auction is and the expectations of it but what's really important and for someone. And this is important for selling any horse for that matter. You have to have good representation of it. You got to have it, it, everything's got to be done first class. You got to make sure you have a good photo. And that doesn't mean you have to hire a professional photographer to come out and do it, but the horse has got to, you know, it's got to be representative of the horse. You got to have a good video. You got to have obviously your paperwork in good order, meaning the pedigree approachable information that people can get in contact with you about coming to view the horse, which in this scenario people couldn't, but they could talk to them a good amount. But it's it's really important to have your paperwork and um, all your tools in place before you go have it. Don't just think because you're going to have the horse's name and you got a platform to do it that you're going to get the same kind of interaction that Michael and JT did. They did their homework ahead of time. And then they did a lot of promotion. We did blast emails. We did social media advertising. We did post notifications. 
it was an overkill, I don't feel, but there was no way that anybody that was active in the Arabian industry couldn't have known that auction was happening. So, Right. So yeah. it's not only, you know, you're talking about, A, you're, you're preparing and promoting the auction itself, but you're also being prepared horse by horse on all the information that needs to be available for the individual inquiries that lead up to the auction and being prepared to answer those questions so that people are knowledgeable before they get there and want to make a bid. Correct. Yep. How many lots were in that sale? You know, I want to say they had 25 lots, and I believe they sold 24 of the 25 lots, um, I believe, sold. Yeah. Well, I've heard about the auction from a lot of folks. Of course, I saw your post and Michael and JT's on social media, but I also heard from quite a few people that were very, very, very impressed with that. Let's shift now, though, to Envision. And Envision is really um, kind of introducing Arabians to non-horse people and, and bringing more people, more eyeballs to the beautiful Arabian. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that brand and, and how you see it helping to promote the brand to folks that once the coronavirus has passed, we've not only kids got kids doing coloring books, but we begin to have folks that can interact and get into lesson programs and come to seminars or webinars and whatnot. Correct. So um, basically two years ago, it's sort of when the whole idea um, was November, when my whole idea, I was working with Jen Tricky and the Arabian Horse Promotional Fund about, okay, we need to get an outreach program going to introduce new people to the Arabian Horse. And so this is sort of how the conception of Envision started. Um, Obviously, last year with my father passing away, it maybe took a little bit of a side turn, and I wasn't able to put the focus into it that I maybe wanted to, but it was always on right right, right close to that front burner of it was important to me because um, obviously to have the – well, starting with myself as a child, you know, I – was born and raised into it. I loved it, so I had a passion, but I felt like um, we needed to spread the word to the outside people. We were doing a great job promoting within our industry, but we needed to introduce the Arabian horse to new people. I always say it's getting back to the grassroots of introducing, you know, the Arabian horse to people. However we go about that, if you have lesson programs, um, if you have uh, – you know, an event that you're going to showcase the Arabian horse. However you do it, we need to introduce the Arabian horse um, to new people. And so that could either be done through the printed piece. Um, It's also on a digital version that you can share, you know, that we try to get in as many hands as possible. But we need to do a better job of introducing the Arabian horse to newcomers. Well, and that's on several levels because you have, you know, you have kids that you can um, get uh, first graders, you know, doing little coloring books and having coloring contests. It can all be done online. And then eventually they, you know, want mommy to take them to get a writing lesson, right? And then you can begin hooking them up through um, links online to how to find the writing lessons closest to your home or different kinds of ways to create interaction. Or you might have women over 40 who might want to come back and ride horses and they maybe rode when they were a child but haven't ridden since. Their kids are getting a little older now and they want to ride. So it's really creating target audience scenarios that then reach out to these different communities through online platforms. Is that essentially what you're mainly doing? A hundred percent correct. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing is 
um, trying, obviously the youth is, you know, we think about the youth and that's a, a big movement is introducing it to young children. But I also think um, we call it as the empty nesters or, you know, even if it's a mother of a child that has took their child to riding lessons but never really dabbled in it themselves because their whole life was dedicated to their child. Now they're off to college, married, whatever. And this parent needs to find their way in life. And, and so it's introducing the Arabian horse to people like that through a variety of events. Um, and it's really interesting talking to people how their interest level lies in the Arabian horse. Some people, of course, like the show part of it, but some people just like the social aspect. It's really interesting to find out how many people just like the social aspect of maybe you're trail riding, maybe you're getting together with your friends at the barn and you're having like a cocktail hour, brunch, lunch, whatever, um, and just hanging around horses and horse people um, it's amazing how many people are interested in that whole well, deal. Well, and, and just as an example, I you know, I post on my own social media just fun pictures of Arabians, and I don't really promote for any business reasons. But just on my own social media page on Facebook, I had a mom and a dad who I know and their little daughter, they took to start riding lessons but simply because they saw my post. They decided they wanted to ride. Well, it turns out, guess who's the one that's out there at the barn every day now? It's the dad. And all of them yeah. are involved, but it's the father that actually is enjoying it, and, and he is in a job that he works from home. But long before coronavirus, he was going out to the barn every day and working his horse and learning how to be involved with horses. So it can be a family affair, which I think is back to the very beginning of this conversation. Your family is certainly an example of family affair involved in the raving horses for a lifetime. Correct, and and I think that's what everybody has, like, just coming off from the, the Scottsdale Horse Show, so that's fresh in my mind as an event that there's a lot of people that you can introduce the Arabian Horse to. So they had like, I don't I don't know what they call their, how they do the farm, where you walk through the barn aisleways, but I signed yep. Peter Ridge up for two of those because I thought here, if I'm going to be preaching on to the, everybody about doing this, you got to partake in it. And it was amazing how many people came through the barn aisleway to, and they had an introduction and they could pet an Arabian horse and and do all of that. And I think it's, again, just getting back to the grassroots, you know, for a while I feel like we, we became unapproachable, you know, at a horse show. You'd put this, we, we put these big setups up, but it's not very, unless you know somebody behind those curtains, it's not very, appro- you're not going to just walk through. So it's like opening our doors and letting people right. um, come in and experience experience whatever it is that you have to offer and that's what i mean with a farm too whatever it is if you don't have lessons what do you offer that you can introduce the arabian horse to someone or who can you partner with in your neighborhood or area to do it together and to introduce the arabian horse to people so um well i'd like yeah, to i'd like to have you back again and i'd like to go through like a list of maybe four or five or six simple things that Arabian farms, Arabian trainers, Arabian lesson programs, local horse shows, Arabian clubs can do to help get their their name into the media, get little articles and things like that, kind of a simple steps of how to go about it. And you and I can figure out when we might can get that scheduled here in the next month or two. Thank you so much for your time today. Laura, if people want to reach out to you and ask you any questions, do you have an email address that you can share for everyone to email you? Sure. They can reach me at, and it's Lara, L-A-R-A, at ahtimes.com. So A-H-T-I-M-E-S.com. 
Correct. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much again, Laura, and we look forward to having you back. Thank you, and everyone be safe. Thanks again for listening today, and watch for our upcoming podcasts. We Love Arabian Horses is an ambassador community that promotes Arabian horses with fellow horse lovers globally. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more like it, make sure to subscribe to We Love Arabian Horses on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. To share ideas for topics and guests with us, and to learn more about sponsorship opportunities, send us an email to hello at welovearabianhorses.com.